I can remember when, if you'd have sung that song, the amens would have almost caused the roof to cave in. Can you remember those times, brother? Weren't they wonderful? I want you to turn to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans, chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Is your Christian love genuine? Or is your Christian love kind of fakey and insincere? You know, talking about some times in the past, uh, my dad, of course, uh, served in World War II, and, and perhaps some of you did or some of your parents did for sure, but in those days, uh, you would hardly ever hear one man say to another man in church or even a woman say to a Christian sister in church, I love you. I mean, and I'm not taking away from that generation. I'm telling you, that generation was made of good stuff. It didn't mean that they didn't love you. They just didn't do that kind of thing back then. It's kind of sissified or something, I guess they thought. And uh, I can remember when that began to change in the churches. And I was real happy that it did. And, and Christians began to say, it was a little awkward at first, and, and now it's very accepted. Uh, well, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I'm praying for you. But you know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid it's become so familiar to us and so common to us that sometimes it's not very sincere. It's just words. And so today's message is about the characteristics of sincere love. And the love is the greatest of all things, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Christ answered the lawyer about the greatest commandment, love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And again and again in the Bible we find that love for God and love for one another are the basic commandments on which everything else hangs. So if we don't have our love right, we're not right. Okay? Well, look at verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Now, that's kind of an umbrella. That's kind of the heading of the message today. And when you look in your Bibles, you'll see that lead is in italics and be is in italics. That means it's not in the original. In the original Greek in which this was written, there's no verb. It basically says, have sincere love. And then these other characteristics, 10 or 11 or so, share with us what it means to have genuine, non-hypocritical love. You know the word hypocrite doesn't mean that Christians are perfect. There's no perfect Christian this side of heaven. <clears throat> but it is a word that actually did not have a bad meaning originally. It is a word that means a play actor. And uh, back in this day, uh, the Greek play actors would go behind the curtain and they would put on a mask and they would come out and play a part and pretend to be somebody they weren't. Then they'd go behind the curtain and they'd put on another mask and they'd come out and they'd pretend to be somebody they weren't. A hypocrite is a play actor. We do not need to be play actors as Christians. And another way of saying that, since love is the key, our love does not need to be play-acting. It needs to be genuine, and it needs to be real, and it needs to be sincere. Is yours. 
And if you're a Christian, you may be like me when I studied this and say, well, as I look at these things, some of them are true, but I need to tune up my love a little better. And that may be where some of us are today. All right, if our Christian love is genuine, sincere, and non-hypocritical, <clears throat> one of the first characteristics is we will abhor what is evil. Uh-oh. <laughs> abhor, and some of you have this as a translation in your Bible, means to hate. What is evil just means what is sinful, right? It's not enough to dislike sin. Did you know that? We must hate sin. If I saw a rattlesnake here today, I wouldn't kind of dislike it and play around it. I tell you, I would hate it. I would flee from it. I hate cancer. Don't you? I've lost too many friends, and I've seen some that lives haven't been lost, but they have to take the horrible chemo and radiation. I hate that disease of cancer because of what it does to you. But there is another disease that is more horrible than cancer, and it's sin. And Christian brothers and sisters, we have got to get to the place that we hate sin. Because its wages is death. It will destroy our lives. It will destroy our families. It will destroy our society. So this is the opposite side of love for God. God is holy without sin. We should hate what he hates. And therefore, we don't hate the sinner, but we hate sin. Now the other side of that, Christianity is always more positive than negative. Cling to what is good. The word cling is a word that means glue. Glue. We need to be glued to what is good. There's a lot of evil in the world today, but I still believe there's a lot of good. A while back I did just a personal study and I looked up good works in the New Testament. Those two words together, how they're used together, good works. Oh, it was almost 20 times in the New Testament. Now we as Baptists are big on the fact that we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. And rightly so. You're not saved by works, but let's don't go to the other extreme and forget how important it is for Christians to do good works. We are to be glued to good works. When I was looking at this, actually for the first time a few weeks ago, God just convicted me. And uh, I just paid more attention to doing good works, sometimes out of my ordinary schedule. And Marcia and I, we were uh, at the mall one night in the children's department, of course. That's where she wants to go to get things for the grandkids. And I walked by a clothes rack, and of all things, the people in this store had put on these little uh, jackets a toy. So half the clothes were on the floor. Those children were trying to get that toy. And, uh, and you know, I, at first I just walked right by. That's not my job to pick up these clothes on the floor and hang them back up on the rack. And, and then I got to thinking, what would Jesus do? Well, I don't know for sure, but since he even folded his grave clothes in the empty tomb neatly, 
And God does things decently and in order, 1 Corinthians 14. So I picked them up and put them back. Not patting myself on the back. I'm working on this thing. Folks, true Christian love hates sin and love. It's glued to doing good works every day that we live. The third characteristic, true Christian love loves each other as family in the church. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Uh, that phrase, kindly affectionate, it's one word, and it is the Greek word phileo, city of Philadelphia is named after phileo. It is the city of what? Brotherly love. It's made up of the word phileo for brotherly love, family love, and storge, which is always used for family love. Now this will date me for sure. A very popular song back in the 70s, I think, was He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. How many of you remember that so I won't feel so old? Hey, man, bunch of old folks here today. Feel younger already. And the story is that it was based on a true happening in Chicago or somewhere in the city many years ago during the time of depression that uh, there was a, a young boy and he was carrying another boy on his back and the boy on his back had a crippled foot and they were both orphans which was common back in those days and someone saw him carrying this boy on his back and he said to him isn't he heavy and the boy that was carrying the fellow on his back said he ain't heavy He's my brother. Now you may not realize it, but that Christian you're sitting next to today or you're sitting behind or in front of is family. We are in the family of God. We have the same spiritual new birth. We have the same heavenly father. We have the same heavenly home. We have the same Bible as our guide. When is the church going to start treating each other as the family of God? True love doesn't just see another church member. They see a spiritual family connection there. The next characteristic, in honor, giving preference to one another. That just means that you gladly, humbly, not because you have to, but you want to, put others before yourself. When you're in a conversation, do you want to make sure everybody knows how smart you are? Do you ever want to hear what someone else has to say? True Christian love will put another person before themselves. How is your love? Not lagging in diligence, and I think these three go together, fervent in spirit and serving the Lord. Not lagging in diligence just means you're not lazy. The Bible says that Satan walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Have you ever watched some of these animal channels? Uh, have you noticed that usually the lions will attack the smallest, the weakest, the antelope that's lagging behind? The scripture says, 
Satan walks about like a roaring lion. I looked up this scripture this morning as I was going over this message. In Deuteronomy 25, 17 and 18, God told Moses, Remember the Amalekites attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary, when they were coming out of Egypt. These Amalekites, these enemies, they attacked the rear ranks. They attacked the weary, they attacked those that were lagging behind. I cannot tell you, you're not a robot, Christian. Faith without works is dead. I cannot tell you how important it is for us to act on our faith. Don't be a lazy Christian. Satan will eat your lunch. Well, how can I keep from being a lazy Christian? Fervent in spirit. And that should be a capital S. Fervent means on fire. Be yielded to God's Holy Spirit. That's how to be on fire for Christ. That's how we need to serve the Lord. You don't do it because you have to. You do it because you want to. You do it because you're thrilled to. Then he says, rejoicing in hope. I'm glad God is pro-joy. He really is. Rejoicing in hope, hope in the Bible means joyful anticipation. I'll tell you, some of my most exciting times, still today, even though it's not as much fun as it used to be, all the children are grown, uh, used to be a week or two before vacation. Man, I was so happy, nothing could get me down. Why? I'm getting ready to go on vacation. I mean, it was on my mind. David Benson's wife, just a few days before she died, they were sitting on the porch, and she knew that she was dying, and she said, David, I'm excited. It's like I'm getting ready to go on a wonderful trip. Don't forget our future. I don't care who gets elected. I care who gets elected, but no matter who gets elected, it won't change the Christian's future. Harold Yancey's funeral service was held yesterday and Laverne and the family gave me a thank you note. And listen to what Laverne wrote. Thank you so much for helping us through this sad slash happy time. What does she mean? It's so sad she lost her husband of 59 years years but he was saved she's saved she knows where he is and in the midst of the sadness there's joy let me tell you Christian love doesn't forget our glorious joyful future and then patient in tribulation the word patient I wish I could make this sound more fun but it means endurance my first Bible teacher, oh, I was just a young minister. And uh, he could take the Greek New Testament and just teach right out of it. He was so smart. And he pastored a little church not far from the college I attended. And he asked me to come preach a youth revival. I was so honored. And we made some visits. And one day we went into this home. And it was a, a young mother and wife. Her husband had deserted her. 
uh, she was just broken down and she just poured her troubles and hearts out before uh, my friend and me. And uh, I was thinking, you're getting ready to get the Bible lesson of your life because this guy was a teacher. I thought, he's fixing to teach you the biblical doctrine of how to face suffering and hard times. So I kind of looked at the Bible teacher, Dr. James Clark, and when she finished, and here is the great theological advice he gave this woman who was going through trials. When you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot and hold on. I couldn't believe it. This brilliant theological mind. But folks, there are times, if we'd be honest, when our emotion isn't there, when we don't feel like it, we need to endure. Christian love endures. The Bible says Christ endured the cross. He didn't feel like suffering like that. He prayed, if there's any other way, Father, remove the cup from me. And we, at certain times, I know I have to. There are times you just tie a knot by faith and hold on and think of that scripture that says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. All right. Then the Bible says... Um, that we need to continue steadfastly in prayer. And by the way, that goes hand in hand with not only being joyful, which is before that, but the strength to endure. Jesus said men ought always to pray and not to faint, not to lose heart. If you don't have a prayer life, start one. Uh, meet God every morning in prayer. And then throughout the day, you can just pray silent prayers. Uh, you can just shoot up prayers to God throughout the whole day. Oh, what a difference it makes. You know, if you love someone, you want to communicate with them. So if our love is sincere for the Lord, we'll want to talk to the Lord. Then, okay, practical again, distributing to the needs of the saints. This means material needs. There should not be a known material need of anyone in this church, a legitimate, okay? Some people want you to help them, but they don't want to work. That's not a legitimate material need. The Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. That's laziness. But there should not be a legitimate material need of any member of this church that is not being met. There shouldn't be. Folks, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is practical Christian love in action. And then the last of these characteristics. And you know, when I read this, I'll be honest with you, I thought, Lord, this is anticlimactic. Hospitality? I mean, these other things seem so strong, and then you're closing this out that... Christian love, true sincere love is given to hospitality. It bothered me. I said, I hate to end my sermon kind of on a flat note today. Well, I woke up this morning and I was thinking about it. And then I got to realizing what an emphasis is placed in the Bible on being hospitable. 
We're going through 1 Peter, I guess still in Sunday school. Chapter 4, verse 8, commands us to be hospitable without grudging. In 1 Timothy and Titus, it is the characteristic and qualification of a true elder. Jesus was accused of eating with tax collectors and harlots and publicans. Why? They were hospitable. The old self-righteous hardly ever asked him to come to their place. Jesus was big on hospitality. What was one of the last things he did with those disciples before the cross? And he said, I have longed for this time. He had what we call the last supper or meal with them. Read Acts 2, one of the characteristics of the early church. They met in the big celebration place, but they met from house to house, sharing food with one another. Christ said, where two or more gather together, there I am in the midst of them. Jeff preached a wonderful sermon a while back, and he referred us to the judgment of the nations, where Jesus said to those that were saved, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was in jail and you visited me. I was sick and you ministered to me. And they said, when did we do that to you, O Lord? He said, when you did it to the least of my brethren. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus often reveals himself in some very poignant ways in the midst of small fellowship hospitality. Remember Luke 24? And by the way, last year I learned when I looked at all the resurrections of, count, of counts of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus appeared more to small groups and several times they ate together. Do you want to recognize, you want to see, you want to feel the resurrected presence of Jesus? Remember the two Emmaus disciples, Jesus was walking with them along the road. They didn't recognize him. They got ready to turn off the road to go to their homes. And he acted, it's in the scripture, he acted as if he would go past them. And they invited him to come to their home for a meal. Hospitality. And when they invited him, not knowing who he was, when they showed hospitality as he broke the bread and prayed, they recognized it was Jesus. Folks, listen, this is not a little thing. How many Christians do you have over to your house on a regular basis? Have you got some Christian friends that sometimes you try to go out to eat with? For some of us, it's my four and no more. No wonder you're not a very happy Christian. How's your love? We've all heard this story of the fellow who was in college and his girlfriend was back home several miles away. And he would send love letters to her and he sent one love letter to her and he said, oh, honey, to be with you, I would swim the deepest ocean. To be with you, I would climb the highest mountain. To be with you, I would cross the hottest desert. Love, and he signed his name, drew a heart. And then he put a P.S., if it doesn't rain, I'll come home this weekend. Don't let that be true of us. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. Let it be real. Let it be genuine. 
let it be sincere. And you know what? If this takes place, it's going to amaze you how this church is going to be revived. It's going to amaze you how people will want to come because the whole world is looking for this kind of love. Let's share it. Would you stand with me and bow your heads for prayer? Let me close today before we play some music for an invitation by telling you Jesus is is wanting to come into the house of your heart. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come unto him and sup with him and he with me. That means I'll dine with him. I'll have intimate fellowship with him or her. But Jesus won't knock the door down. He'll knock on your heart's door. He can do that through different circumstances you're going through, but he certainly does it through the voice of his Holy Spirit. I remember when I opened that door in 1968 and invited Christ into my heart, accepted him as the one that paid for my sin and rose from the grave and trusted him wholeheartedly, and I was forgiven that night. Became a child of God in a relationship with God. I have a great assurance I'm going to a wonderful heaven one day. And it gives me strength now that I never had before. Have you ever received Jesus into your heart, the house of your life? Don't turn him away. And if you'd like to do that today, you can do it right now by a prayer. And mean the prayer. Here it goes. You want to receive Christ into your life. You've not made that decision. You're not sure you've made that decision, but you know today God's speaking to your heart. Then pray this prayer and mean every word. Dear God, I confess I'm a sinner. But I believe Jesus died for my sins on the cross. He paid my sin debt. I believe he rose from the grave to prove my sins were paid for. And today I open the door of my heart through repentance. I'm willing to let you change me, Lord. I'm sincere, oh Father God. And in faith, I'm asking Christ to come in my life, Lord Jesus, right now. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you prayed that prayer sincerely, God would never say, nope, I'm not going to come in. But he answered that prayer. If he did, I pray that you during this invitation time would come and make it public and not be ashamed of your salvation. There are other decisions that need to be made during this time. Please feel free to make them. Let the Spirit lead. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's sing together.